Is he a good, good father, church? Is he a good, good father, church? Do you love him like a good, good father, church? perfect in all of his ways. That's a special song. It's something you can preach to yourself continually. Regardless of what's taking place in your life that you can't control. I'm not talking about self-inflicted pain, even though he's still a good, good father then too. But he's a good, good father. Perfect in all of his ways. Regardless of what's taking place. Regardless of what's going on. Regardless of the answers that you don't have. He is still a good, good father. Perfect in all of his ways. The children can be dismissed to children's church now. The ushers, three. John, did the you have the outlines? No. Yes, yes. All right. So the ushers will be passing out outlines. If you have not received an outline yet. Uh, raise your hand, or it looks like it's coming around for the first time, maybe, so maybe nobody has one. But they're coming around and giving them to you. You're special. We're going to be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 40 through 47. You can turn there with me, Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47, and then we'll go to Acts 4, 32 through 37 afterwards. When you have it, say so. <laughs> Acts 2, 40, starting at verse 40 says, And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crook generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Got a glare. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us. We thank you for your generosity. We thank you, Lord, for being with us this morning, God. We thank you for being mindful of us individually and collectively as your bride, my God. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the anointing that was on the worship, God, and we ask that you would be glorified during this time today, that you, as your name would be made great. We ask that uh, we would be edified as your people, and I pray, Lord, that you would be with my tongue as I deliver your word today. I pray this in the name of our good Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Well, first of all, welcome back to the Floating Church. I heard some of y'all came back with some stuff that uh, wasn't too, too, uh, too good for you. Um, so we pray for all those who are still ill. 
and recovering. We hope that they recover quickly and get the rest that they need. Um, we'll be continuing in our core four series today. Uh, the, this is the point two of growing, um, committed to loving God, growing together, reaching others, and serving. And this is the fourth message of point two, which is the growing together. And it is the eighth message in the series itself. Today's message is entitled, Connect Life. Connect Life. And as we were reading through Acts chapter 2, there's a little bit of a cycle that's taking place here <laughs> that we're going to be walking through today. And that cycle is, number 1 and verse 40, we see that as the preaching of the gospel was going forth, there were some that received. And as they received, they were added to the congregation. They were added to the body of Christ. Amen? And in point 2... As the cycle continues, we see that they go from being added, from receiving the gospel, being added, to then devoting themselves to the teaching and the fellowship of the apostles and the breaking of bread with one another. And they go from there to seeing many signs and wonders being done through the apostles. And then the fourth part of the cycle is that all who believed were together. They were one. And then the cycle continues. When you go on to the very end, it says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So again, it would be those who received. So that's how the cycle continues. We are joined together, reconciled to be one body. We devote ourselves to the fellowship and the teaching. We see many signs and wonders. We see the grace of God at work on a daily basis in the lives of those we know and in our own lives. And then as we communicate the gospel, we see... That as we are one, there's more added day by day by the grace of God. Amen? Amen. Also, further on, we're going to go to Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. Scripture says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Again, that's like the fourth portion of the cycle. All right, now we're together. We're operating as one. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were, were, were owners of lands or houses, they sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And laid it at the apostles' feet. And was, it was distributed to each one who had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Amen? You see the unity? You see the love? You see the grace? You see the concern? Amen? That's the church. So from the outline, here we go. So, thus far, we have established a foundation for community within the body of Christ, being our Trinitarian God who dwells in community and our Savior who purchased us as a people and made us a blood-bought family. Last week we learned that part of walking worthy of the calling to our salvation is a commitment to the gospel-centered community. So the foundation of community, we touched on this last week, is a Trinitarian God. God exists in a Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And we are created in the image and likeness of God. So we were created for community, the way that our God exists in community. We weren't meant to be isolated. We weren't meant to be alone. Whenever we're called out of darkness into fellowship with God, we're called out of darkness into fellowship with one another. Amen? Amen. Amen. Also, part of the foundation 
is that we're a blood-bought family. Jesus paid a heavy price to redeem your lives from destruction, to redeem my life from destruction. And he brought us together to be a collected body. And we happen to be just a portion of that body here as we congregate in Oviedo, Florida. But nonetheless, the church is bigger than just us. But also, nonetheless, no matter where you go, you go to visit family in New York, you go to a different country, there's a collected body of Christ that's been blood-bought that we are to be in unity with and that we are to be on the same mission with to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ and to love one another and to reflect God's love towards us. Amen? So as we look back at Acts chapter 2 and 4, I'm sorry, this week we're going to dig a little deeper into the practical side. This is back on your outline of what the gospel-centered community looks like and how we should endeavor to live out this truth in our daily, weekly, and overall schedule of our lives. All right, so community, whenever we think of community, we're not thinking of just an event. We're not having a mindset where I got to go to connect life groups. We're not having a mindset, well, I got to uh, meet my quota to have one family over for dinner once a month or whatever it might be. That's not type of community that we see in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. It's daily, weekly, and the entire schedule of our lives should be, should involve our family, our blood-bought family. It should involve our church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, because we need each other. We weren't called out of darkness to do this on our own. And the Bible says that God is building us up to be one people, to be a dwelling place for himself. Amen? Amen. Amen. Acts 2 and 4 says, we see clear, it, looking back at Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, we see, I'm sorry, chapter 2 and chapter 4, we see clear, the, a clear outworking of the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ as people automatically engaging in gospel-centered community. Community life is not as countercultural as we would think. People commune all the time. Just pause there for a second. So when you think of community, community's happening. It's happening all day. Some of you have more community with the people at your job that are coworkers than you do with the people in your church that you've been a blood-bought family to. Think about that. Let that resonate a little bit. Some of you have more community with people who have not been reconciled with Christ than you do with your blood-bought family. See, this is a covenant relationship. God called you out of darkness. It was his choice to call you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Amen. And that's grace. We are ever grateful for that. And we should be. Thank you for calling me out of darkness. Thank you for reconciling me to yourself. Thank you for giving me a faith to believe that you are the son of God. Thank you for giving me the, the uh, ability to trust in the righteousness of God. Thank you. But you've been called out of darkness to be your blood-bought family. So community is happening all the time. All around us. It's nothing foreign to us as people. The question is, is are you having that same community and those intimate relationships with the people that God has gathered you to as a blood-bought family? And we should think about that. However, it requires us to really allow. So uh, it's not as counterculture as we think. However, it requires us to really allow Jesus to be the Lord of our lives in all areas, specifically our schedules. See, a lot of times that's the biggest excuse. I'm too busy to be hanging out with the church all the time. You got an event mindset. I, I, well, well, you know, I don't really have time to, to, to host. I don't really have time to, to fellowship. You have an event mindset. 
It's your blood-bought family. Do you understand there's people around the world? Think of Richard Rumbrandt, um, the, um, the book he wrote. It's, a li- it's, a, it's Life of Richard Rumbrandt. Um, I was hoping Bishop would help me out. I said, he sees me struggling, but he's not. <laughs> this, guy, this, some, this guy was in prison for like 12 years. All right? This guy couldn't have the community with his blood-bought family. He was in prison for serving Christ. He, it was a communist country back in like the early 1940s or something like that. But he was incarcerated for preaching the gospel. See, we shouldn't take it for granted whenever we recognize that we're a blood-bought family and that we need each other. We're not incarcerated. What's our excuse for not fellowshipping and being in community the way that we should? Our schedules should never be an excuse. As long as we think that our time is our time, that's very good. As long as you think your time is your time, guess what you're going to do? You're going to say, well, I got time for this, I got time for this, I got time for that. I don't have time for that. So really, the one thing, God calls you out of darkness to be a body of Christ, to be a community of believers, to be one body that he's the dwelling place of, but you think that your time is your time, so what you're going to do is you're going to say, I don't have time to do what God called you out of darkness to be? I shouldn't, let it never be so, church. As long as you think that your time is your time, we'll never move beyond the event-minded uh, mindset of connect life groups into connect life. Connect life. Amen? Amen. Amen. So the big idea today is that God has called us out of darkness and into relationship with him. And don't stop there because a lot of y'all say, I'm I'm a a Christian, you know, I'm saved. And it's just you and you and you and you and God, you and God, you and God. He called you out of darkness to himself and to his body, the church. We are his means of spreading the message of reconciliation, the gospel. You're going to be more effective at sharing the gospel when you're in community with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Not just because, oh, you have someone to support you and we're two are gathered, there the Lord is, but you're going to look more like Christ when you're in community because you're going to be sanctified. Because Sean's going to get you upset and then you're going to have to love him and forgive him as he repents. And then I'm going to get everybody upset and you're going to have to forgive me and love me and you're going to be conformed to the image of Christ. Amen. Tortured. See, Richard Rumbrandt. That's the name of the book, Tortured for Christ. See, people thought that I was torturing you because, you know, they, I, <clears throat> number one, first point, we are one body, one family, one bride, the church. Romans 12, four through five, and I don't, I don't have these up here. You don't have to turn here. I'm just going to roll through these real quick. And if you want the notes, I'll be more than happy to send them to you. Romans 12, four and five says that we are one body in Christ and individually members to one another. 1 John 3, 2 says that we are God's children. Ephesians 1, 5 says that we have been adopted by God. Hebrews 2, 17 says that we are his siblings of Jesus. Acts 20 and 28 says that God purchased the church with his own blood. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says that we are the body of Christ with Jesus as head over all. And Ephesians 2, 22 says that the church is the dwelling place of God. So first of all, we must recognize that God chose us to be a family. See, when you recognize that God's the one that chose you to be reconciled, and God's the one that chose so-and-so to be reconciled, and so-and-so to be reconciled, and so-to-so, that's your blood-bought family. When you recognize that, you begin to think of it a little bit different. It's not just people who chose to come to faith, them with fellowship, and this is just a thing that they do in their weekly activities, and this is where they're going to congregate, this is where they're going to raise their family, and you can hang out with them if you want to, you can love them if you want to, but you really don't have to, because so-and-so is a little bit better than they are, and you love them a little bit better, and they annoy you a little bit less, and so forth, and so forth, and so forth. But what you realize that everybody is a blood-bought child of God, 
that believes in Christ, that, is, that has faith that Jesus is a righteousness, has been redeemed from destruction, and then you recognize that although they may annoy you, although they're imperfect, you're imperfect too, you guys need each other. Amen? You guys need each other. People are hurting, man, and they're going through it alone. Why? They don't have to. Of course, it's easy to say, well, because they don't want to be in community. But do you strive to be in community with them? It's always easy to point the, other, to point the finger. And yes, they do have fault. But what are you doing to make the situation better? What are you doing to make sure that you're there for them and that you're loving them well? So this is why we connect. This is very important. Give you a little bit of backdrop. Whenever we as leaders decided to say, you know what, we're going to move to connect groups, life groups, small groups, community groups. When we decided to do that, we left the traditional Wednesday night services as it was, and we started to meet in homes of brothers and sisters in Christ and fellowship with each other. What it does is it allows us, just like Bishop was talking about how Jesus had his 12 disciples and then there was three that was more. It allows us to connect with a smaller group of people that we can really be intimate with. Have I spent my week trying to find out about every single one of you and where you're hurting at and where your needs can be met and how can I help you? If I did that, I would have no time for my own family. I would have no time for anything else. But if I got five families, four families that are in my connect group, that I have a responsibility to love well, to care for, to know if they're hurting, to know their pains, know their sufferings, know their weaknesses, know their prayer needs, know their practical needs, their spiritual needs. If I have a responsibility to do that, that's more manageable. That's why we went to connect life groups. As the church becomes bigger, we don't want anyone to be displaced, anyone to not have that community that's absolutely necessary with your blood-bought family. It doesn't mean you can't have any relationships outside of Connect. Don't hear what I'm not saying, but what I'm telling you is that Connect life groups are very important for you to be connected with the body of Christ. That's why they're called Connect. Amen? Amen. So if you're not a part of a Connect group, why not? All right? You should be. And you may say, oh, I struggle so much, you know, and this is hard. Well, it's because you're not a part of a Connect group. Obviously, your primary issue is that you need to be devoted to Christ. You need to be committed to Christ. You need to be in the word of God. You need to be on your knees before him. But I guarantee you, I can testify that whenever you're not isolated and you're in your community, it helps. Your walk of Christ is helped. It's good to have brothers and sisters that you can call upon, that you can cry with, that you can confess to. That's good. Amen? So part of the problem is the way that we view family. You see, some of us grew up in broken homes, and whenever you think of family, it, it does, it's not as precious as it should be. It's not God's definition. You think of uh, a father who beat you. You think of a, a mother who was very ungracious. You think of uh, an infidelity. You think of abandonment. You think of uh, molestation. You think of all these different hurts and pains, and you say, man, family's really not that big of a deal. But... Whenever you look at God's definition of family and you see selflessness, humility, love, bearing with one another, enduring with one another, joy, encouragement, singing psalms and hymns together, counsel, purity, holiness. When you have a different definition, when you have a God's definition of family at mind, you're going to view community a little bit different. Because although 
the people in the church are broken too, like your homes were broken. You're looking at a people who, again, chose by God, called out of darkness, belong to Christ. All right, so they're striving for holiness. They're striving for obedience. They're being sanctified like you. But hopefully they're going to admit when they're wrong. They're going to confess their sins to you. They're not going to come off like they're perfect. They're going to show that they're vulnerable. They need you like you need them. That's what the body of Christ does. You're going to view community a little bit different. You need them. They need you. So view family the way that God does. See, whenever God talks about family, he's talking about adoption. Adoption's a beautiful thing. This is just, I'm giving you some examples about how God looks at family, and biblically. He talks about us as being adopted children of his. So I would gather that adoption's a good thing, right? It's good to adopt. You have orphans that need to be taken care of. You have children that are displaced. Why not bring them into your home and love them and nurture them and build them up to be young individuals that love God and serve God? God came and adopted us. Adoption's a good thing. But the world, they may say, well, adoption's good as long as you got two or three. Once you get to four, five, six, you're getting a little crazy. Really? Is that what the Bible says about adoption? You see what I'm saying? Uh, another one is um, the language of marriage. You know, whenever you're thinking of marriage, the Bible talks about how he pursued Israel continually, pursuing them, loving them, had every right to divorce them and just cast them away. But he continued to love them, continued to persevere with them, continued to pursue him because he's family. Amen? Family's important to God, and we shouldn't take that for granted. So because you recognize that family's good, because you recognize that community is good, because you recognize that you're a blood-bought family, you have every reason to love the church. Every reason to love the church. Right, right. ask you a question today. Do you love the church? Do you love the church? Or is the church merely a convenience in your life? Do, do, do you love the church? Or, or do you just merely need a pick-me-up once a week? Do you love the church? Or is the church a nice place for you to be when it's convenient? Do you love the church? Or is the church actually a burden for you? Do you love the church? Or are you just ticking a box so that when you stand before God, He will know that you were here? Do you love the church? Or do you merely endure all of these people around you so that you can get what you need out of the service? Do you love the church? Or does this just happen to be the place 
that does things the way that you like things done so that after you've finished all of your shopping you've decided to land here for a while that is until you get upset or find a better deal do you love the church do you see her as the blood-bought bride of Jesus Christ or are we merely here to fit into your agenda do you love the church that's the question today and if you love the church what is it about the church that you love We live in consumeristic times where we look at the church like consumers trying to find some place that has the right mix of, you know, they, they, they read from the right version of the Bible and they sing the right kind of songs and they dress the right way and they talk the right way and they have the same opinion of this and of that and of the other. And as consumers, we sit down and we sit in judgment and we look around and decide if we're going to buy or not. And then when we decide we're going to buy after shopping for a while, we sit back and we check to make sure that everything is going to stay just the way we want it to stay and then we get up and we leave there's another place that didn't stand up under my scrutiny and meet my expectations that's not loving the bride of Christ God has plucked brands out of the fire and brought them together here in this place to share life together, to give our lives to one another. Amen? Do you love the church? Not talking about do you love the music? Do you love the way that John Casanova greets you? Do you really love the bride of Christ? Point number two, being a family changes everything. John chapter 13, verses 35, as you just read up there, says that all people will know that you are Jesus' disciple if you love one another. First Peter Chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 says that we are to love one another earnestly from a pure heart because we've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. So think about that for a little bit. Do you want people to know that you belong to Christ? How do you love one another? See, don't get caught up in trying to make yourself look good by all of your different righteous deeds that you do. Do the hard work. Man, I really love my brothers and sisters in Christ. And the world knows it. They know it. The church knows it because it shows. And the way that I interact with them, the things I do with them, the grace I have towards them, the forgiveness I have towards them. Amen? 
Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. See, when I think of that pure heart thing, I think I go back to that offensively and defensively love. When you love someone offensively, you are actively doing something to show that you love them. But defensively, whenever you're thinking negatively because you have a sinful heart and because you have not given, been given your glorified body, and you, and you, when you, when you, I'm this thing. I'm about to pick up a microphone. Whenever you love from a pure heart, you defensively love. Defensively love. So you're thinking about things you shouldn't think of about other people, maybe at times. What do you do with those thoughts? Do you repent of those thoughts? You should. You shouldn't be casting the stones at people from your mind. Repent. If there's any validity to it, you need to have a conversation face-to-face with somebody. Don't just sit there and be crucifying people in your mind because it's going to affect the way you tangibly love them. It will. You think people don't know, but it shows. So seeing the church's family should help us to grow in our love for one another. We must be willing to be openly repentant and forgiving in order for our lives to be joined together. You see, if you're just a surface-level Christian, you don't ever want to talk about your sins, you don't want to confess them because they're private, you're really not being a family to each other. My children know my ugly. My wife knows my ugly. They're my family. Why can't you guys know? When you're in community with people, you should know. When you're bonding with one another, you should know. Not to gossip, to pray with you, to love you through it, to show you that there's forgiveness in the cross, to tell you what to do with that ugly. It's important that you love one another. You're openly repenting to one another. This is what should be taking place in connect groups, by and large. If you're hurting, man, if, if you're sinning, confess it. Confess it not just to God, but to your brothers and sisters in Christ. I would encourage male to male and female to female, as always, especially if you're dealing with intimate, struggling sins. Confess them. Let people pray with you. Open up. Show that you're not perfect. Show that you need a Savior like they do. Show them. Don't guard yourself. If they're your family and you see them that way, you will be able to do that. So again, your definition of family may need to change. But not just repentance, forgiving. Are you mature enough to handle somebody else's sin? Are you mature enough to just give them a hug and say, man, Jesus died for that. You ain't got to fall into that no more. I understand what you did yesterday. But today's a new day. You don't have to fall into that sin again. You don't have to keep running back to that like a dog going back to his vomit. Yeah, get that graphic with them. They might need to hear that. Tell them there's forgiveness in that and show them that forgiveness by the way that you forgive because you're an image bearer of Christ. So when they see how you forgive, you can reflect your Savior to them. And they need that. We need that. I need that. And it's important, church. I'm telling you, it's important. I guarantee you many marriages would not be divorced if there was more community. Many families would not be as broken if there was more community. Many infidelity at times would not be of much if there was more community. Children, talk about young people. Young people can be in community and encourage one another to live holy and blameless before a dark and twisted generation. It would be more honoring of parents if there was more community, Christ-centered, gospel-centered community amongst our young people. 
See, families eat together. They plan together. They spend holidays together. They do hospital visits together. And they do life together. Do you love the church? Is it your family? Do you believe that you've been blood-bought and reconciled not just to God but to one another? Are you mature enough to handle other people's sin? Are you willing to be in community and confess your own sin? Good questions. View and Connect is another weekly event will reduce what should be a family gathering to, one, to another time-consuming, burdensome activity. You see, some of you will never miss a Thanksgiving dinner with your family. You won't. You'll never miss a Christmas dinner with your family, a Christmas day, certain birthdays you'll never miss. All these different family events, you won't miss them because you love them. Sometimes you go because for the wrong reasons. You don't want, you know, people to meet. Why didn't you go to the birthday party, you know? And you should repent of that. You should go because you love them, you know, even though you may not be able to stand them. But nonetheless, your, your family, the body of Christ, are you doing life together? Are you going places together? Are you planning life together? Or are you just planning your life separately Everybody plans separately, they do separately, and then you just come together to congregate, you meet for a one-time weekly meeting at a connect group, and then you go about with all the regular plans that you had, not involving the family of God that you've been blood-bought and reconciled to. It shouldn't be that way, church. That's not real community. Superficial. And not life-changing. Check out this video here. The life-on-life life or day-to-day -day life of our missional community is largely defined by, by a missional community covenant. You know, every year, all of our missional communities sit down and identify who is it we believe God sent us to or what place has He sent us to and how are we going to radically reorient our lives for the sake of reaching those people. And that helps to form a covenant. We basically ask, okay, what will it look like if we're going to live as family all week long? How will we love one another? What will we do for one another? How will we engage life together? When will we eat together? Uh, and we do that with our family identity. We do that with our missionary identity. We say, okay, if we're missionaries and we're sent to these people, how are we going to share the gospel with them? So then we start to strategize that. And, and so we do that with everything, our family, missionary, servant, and disciple or learner. And we form a covenant. We do that once a year. And it can be a two to four page document that spells out a strategy for making disciples. And it includes the day-to-day -day life and then we commit to that together. So our missional community, when we did that, we basically said, well, what is it gonna to mean to be the family uh, of God in the wedge together? And you know that meant, well, we're gonna eat these this many times, or we're gonna to try to make contact with each other outside of our normal gatherings. How many times do we think we should do that to be a healthy family? What kinds of needs do we have that we should meet this year? You know, and for our case, you know, one couple, we said, oh, let's release you from needing a job. This, they were both working a lot, and the wife and the husband could never get time together. So what if we were to help fund your freedom to be a stay-at-home mom and be more engaged in mission with us and with your family? And we figured out how much that would cost, and we said, let's pay for that. So that was part of our covenant. Let's help fund them to get freed up this next year to do more. Um, so it's those kinds of things, eating together. How, what are we going to do? We're going to have a vacation together. We're going to retreat together. What kinds of studies are we going to do together? And so our day-to-day, -day, our week, looks is shaped by that covenant. And so for us, it's 
Minimally, I'd say two to three contact points a week with each other, whether that's in a meal together, whether it's in our, our accountability groups, whether it's going out sometime on the weekend. And you know, and some of us spend a lot more time together depending on schedules. But and it's in the goal is to see it in the in the flow of life, versus as an event, uh, an event mentality. We don't want to just go like, well, we only get together because we put on an event, or we only get together because we have a meeting. But no, we get together because we like being together, and we're living life in community on the in this mission. So we'll see each other at the school, or we'll see each other at a restaurant, or let's go strategically be someplace for the sake of reaching other people. So. And that, and that course that looks different every week. You know, there's certain regularity to it, and there's a lot of spontaneity as well. God's family invites others to join their family. See, connect connect brings us together as a unit so that we can together live out the gospel and reach out with the gospel. Together, we are working with Christ through the Spirit to bring the message of salvation to a lost and dying world every day, all day, relentlessly, consistently, intentionally, purposely, individually, and collectively. We bring this message because God has entrusted us with this message. So whenever you get together and you plan this kind of stuff, that's part of the plan. How can I impact my community? Of course I can impact my community better with all of you than to do it by myself. How can we do it together? Those are plans. You put it in motion. How can you be on mission? Who's going to get saved? Well, Ray Ray down the road, two blocks, you know, we've been talking to him for, all right, well, what can we do to build a bridge for Ray Ray? What can we do? How can we make this happen? Let's plan this thing out. Let's be strategic. Let's be wise. Let's do it together. Reconciliation, as defined in Easton's Bible Dictionary, is a change from enmity, hatred, to friendship. So that's what God did for us. He reconciled us from hatred to friendship, enemies to friends. He reconciled us to himself and to one another. God has given us the understanding of this gospel message. So, God has helped you to understand that you were born into sin, an enemy of God, because of what Adam did through, one seed, through the seed of man, sin entered into the world. When sin entered the world, sin entered into all of us. If our father is a male, then we have sinned as well. This is why you have the thoughts that you have and you battle the things that you battle with, because there's sin rooted in you. There was only one perfect sinless one, that was Jesus Christ. This gospel is what we've been entrusted with. Not just the bad news of that gospel, how there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves, how we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ, and that we are enemies of God, but also the good news side of it, that God loved the world and sent his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him, whoever that may be, will receive eternal life. And that he demonstrated his love towards us that while we were sinners on that cross, he died for us. And he bore the wrath that we deserve. He died the sinner's death. So that we can be reconciled to him. This is the power of God unto salvation, this gospel message. This is what Ray Ray down the road needs. So what bridge do I build in my community, this message of reconciliation that I've been entrusted with, this gospel message? What bridge do I build? How can we plan this together so Ray Ray can come across that bridge and over to our community and see the love of Christ. This is stuff we plan together, church. We're family. We're loving one another. We're growing together. We're doing life together. We're loving our communities together. Amen? You see, it was this gospel message that reconciled us to God and his church, and it is this message that's going to reconcile every other human being that will ever be saved to God and his church. There's no other formula. There's no other way. 
You can't appease nobody. You can attract them, but you can't keep them unless they are changed by the gospel. We've been entrusted with a church, each of us individually and in us collectively, to bring this message to the lost and dying world. The same message that we were saved by is what they will be saved by. So I got a couple questions for you. How have you viewed Connect? As an event or as a lifestyle? This is, this is your own question. Write it down and think about it. How have you viewed community within the church as an event or a lifestyle? If you viewed it as an event, I call you as your brother, I call you as your pastor, I call you as your friend to repent. You're wrong. You should not view community with your blood-bought family as an event. These should be people you love. These should be people you care for. These are people that you hurt with when they hurt. If they're broken, you're broken. If they rejoice, you rejoice. How have you viewed connect? If it is a lifestyle, it should show with not just your commitment to the weekly activities, but also to the outward activities and you're confessing sin one to another and you're forgiving of one another. So you know that's an easy thing to measure. And number two, do you love the church? Again, I'm not talking about the attributes of the tangible things. Like, I love the worship. Do you really love the bride of Christ? Like a family. I can hit you so hard right now. The way that you love your children, do you love the church like that? Moms, do you love the church like you love your children? Oh, that's a different kind of love. Says who? Well, me, because I experience it every day. I understand there is a little bit of a difference there. But do you love them? Will you do for them like you would do for your children? If so, if not, why not? Why not? Your children hurt and they need you. What about your brother and sister in Christ? They hurt and they need you. Think of it like this. The only reason why you don't hurt like they hurt is because of the grace of God. The only reason why you're in a different situation that whoever it might be is in that really bad situation is because of the grace of God. Yeah, but they've done things that put them in that situation. I'm sure they have. And if God didn't have grace on you, you would have done worse. Do you love them like they're your family? Will you do for them like you would do for your mother, like you would do for them for your father? Think about that. If they're your blood-bought family, you should. Love them like your family, according to God's definition of love, with patience and kindness and gentleness, long-suffering with one another, Enduring with one another. Hoping all things. Believing all things about that person. How much is too much love? When have you taken it too far? Some of you say, oh, well, you know, if I'm in an abusive situation, then, you know, I can't. You can still love them. Just be wise. Do you love the church? Do you love the bride of Christ? How does your life show it?
Does everyone else know that you love the church? Is it obvious? Have you deceived yourself? You think you love the church, but you really don't. Because faith without works is dead. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are a gracious God. And I thank you, Lord, for reconciling us to you and to one another. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you, Lord, for their willingness to serve. I thank you, Lord, for being an ear to me when I need one. I thank you, God, that I have somebody to love and counsel. I thank you, Lord, that I can share thoughts and ideas with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for, being, for, for them for being like-minded. I thank you that we are one body uniquely brought together to bring honor and glory to you. To be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for your own possession, my God, that we might proclaim the excellencies of you who called us out of darkness and into the marvelous light. To be the conduit of peacemakers between you and a lost and dying world. God, I pray that you would unite our hearts. Unite us as one body, my God, you being the head. God, that we would never look to ourselves more highly than we ought to, and when we never put our needs before the needs of anyone else, my God. Teach us to be a humble people that bring honor and glory to you in everything that we do, Lord. Teach us to be compassionate and loving. Teach us to be gracious, my God. Father, may we never think that we are not to deliver as much grace as you've delivered to us. Nobody has done us as wrong as we have done you, but yet you love us and you have mercy on us and you have compassion on us and you long suffer with us. May we never be able to use the excuse for, I am not God, so I don't love like him. I pray that you give your church a repentant heart for that ideology and that mindset, my God, because that is not what you've called us to do. You've called us to love like you and to be like you and to be dead to ourselves and alive in Christ. God, we need you. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need your love. We need your word which teaches us and instructs us and corrects us in our waywardness, my God. Help us to be a body of Christ that is active in this community, concerned for the lost. And to be fully dependent upon you. To be a gracious community of believers. Reflecting your image in all things. We pray this in the name of our good Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord.